Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The General Assembly goes home with some controversy left behind. The chair hereby declares the 22 session of the Georgia House adjourned. Sign it down. What a strange night that was. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein here with co-host Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders here at the AJC, and we're two very tired political journalists, political insiders at the AJC. Look, this organization is proud of the fact that we have more reporters covering state government than anyone else. And we were all at the Gold Dome last night and early the next morning for the final day of the legislative session. Patricia, this was particularly hard for you because you're usually in bed by like, what, 7.30, 8? And I like to turn off the lights at 8.45. And uh, I was, uh, I did not get home until one o'clock last night. So my, my internal, uh, yes, my internal snooze alarm is really trying not to work overtime. Well, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And if it's your first time you haven't heard, but you've probably read from our two legislative insiders, part of our team at the Capitol is Mark Nisi and Maya T. Prabhu. They were also there burning the midnight plus oil. Um, they've been there all session. There was nights earlier on that went well into the night. They didn't get nearly as much attention, but they've been through it thick and through thin, covering every twist and turn of the legislative session. Welcome to the show, guys. Good to be here. Good to see Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Good to see you, too. I can just feel the energy. Uh, we're all going on not much sleep. So Patricia, we already heard she's not used to waking up, going to bed as late as she did, but she also woke up at 3.30. I got a little bit, I kind of went to bed around 3.30 and woke up um, around (laughs) 7 to hear the governor's interview over at WSB. Mark, you probably got home, I'm guessing around the same time I did, and what time did you go to bed? Yeah, about 3.30 or so. Um, You know, I got home around 2.30, but you can't go right to sleep right away. I was still, you know, I had the AJC in my driveway when I got home, so I was able to read today's news right away. (laughs) Did you write the news, Mark? Did you write that news? I did. It was the co-byline story by Maya Prabhu, (laughs) James Halzer, and myself about um, the bills that had passed as of deadline yesterday. And Maya, the challenge for all that, of course, is that, you know, our print deadline's a little earlier than, um, than uh, it's not midnight or anything like that. And so you guys have to continually be working on different drafts of a sort of main bar story throughout the day. Um, and that one, you know, that one reflected the latest up-to-date stuff that was happening at that moment. But, you know, there was some big news later on in the night. 
Yeah, the I feel like I jinxed it. I feel like a few of us might have jinxed it. We're like, this is a boring day, you know. All the big stuff has already happened. The stuff that's left looked like it's not going to happen. And then, like, the last 30 minutes, it was just, like, complete frenzy. Well, let's be honest. It was a very boring day into the last 30 minutes. <laughs> there was very few, like, big-ticket items left. A lot, of the, a lot of the major pieces of legislation had already been cleared. Um, a lot of the stuff you guys have been writing about had already made either to the governor's desk or in some cases even signed by him. And, you know, the governor even kind of underscored that by signing into law the mental health overhaul that Maya has been writing so much about all session um, around 1.30 in the afternoon. So some of the big major items were kind of um, were cleared, cleared those hurdles. But, yeah, it was around 11.30 and we realized there's still a lot of bills left and these guys don't seem like they're making any headway. Mark, that's kind of par for the course, though, right? There's always sort of um, some dramatics, theatrics near the end. That's right. You save the bills that you don't particularly want to publicize as much for the end. And so that is not uncommon that you'll get this really rapid fire frenzy right near the end when people don't know what they're voting on necessarily and bills come up out of nowhere amendments and substituted bills are suddenly created and very quickly debated and passed over to the other chamber and then voted out so let's set the stage because the headliner of the night the the bill that kind of overwhelmed um all the talk about any other legislation was the transgender sports measure um and you know, Mark, Patricia, and I were over at the House, but it started in the Senate, right, Maya? Yeah, earlier in the day, it kind of started in the Senate. There was an effort by the lawmaker who had introduced the ban on, um, you know, transgender sports, not ban, you know, making children play sports according to the gender on their birth certificate, right? So that mm. passed the Senate earlier this year and just kind of sat in the House. And so the senator was trying to tack it on to another education bill. And um, as soon as the amendments, because they pass out in the Senate, they pass out all of the amendments as the night goes on. As soon as the amendments hit our desk, I kind of looked up and I see a lot of Republican leadership and that senator like in a corner. And I'm like, something's going on over there. And the next thing I hear is that he's withdrawing his amendment, but there's been an agreement made about a study committee. And that was what I heard in the afternoon and then, to be honest, with everything else going on, kind of forgot about. Yeah, and look, and that Senator Senator Marty Harbin, and this has been one of his main issues. Um, he's a conservative Republican lawmaker, and yeah, that was the sort of the the message we got was, hey, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot of other issues on the table. Um, this one looked like it was going to face a, a you know a big obstacle in the Georgia House, including Speaker David Ralston, who was skeptical of this type of legislation. And, you know, I tweeted around six o'clock, it doesn't look like this is going anywhere, which goes to show you, Patricia, how quickly things can change under the cold dome. Oh, how quickly they change. Um, and the when I started, I saw your tweet. I'm like, oh, maybe Greg knows something. I don't know. Um, but then I, I was also thinking that is de there were a, a lot of issues dangling out there that we just had not seen a lot of movement on. And at this point, time is getting short and they have big things like the budget and the tax cut. They had big ticket items that they had not even mentioned on the floors yet. And so it did look like transgender sports was just going to fall by the wayside this year. Maybe it was a message bill and just saying you wanted to pass it would be good enough. And that would count as passing it uh, for, you know, for what they wanted to do 
for activists. But I was a guest on Lawmakers at uh, between seven and eight o'clock last night, and Governor Kemp was a guest on Lawmakers. And we asked, he said, you know, I'm, I'm. We asked, we knew that he was going to speak to the House and Senate, and so we said, well, what are you, what are you going to talk about? What's, what's your plan? Um, really, the question was, is this going to be sort of a victory lap and way to go, guys, or was he going to put some things on the table that he wanted to see get done? And he said, you know, I am going to put out my priorities. And we said, oh, what are those? I was expecting him to say tax cut. And he said, I I want these chambers to focus on fairness and girls sports and the tax cut. And so he really put that at the top of his list of demands, basically, for lawmakers. Then he did go into the House and Senate and say the same thing, that he wanted to see those two bills pushed. And at that point, this is putting these other Republican lawmakers on notice. The governor wants this. Um, uh, he has a primary coming up. Many of them have Republican primaries coming up. And this is something uh, that became very clear they wanted to clear. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> yes, because it makes sense. You're right. I mean, they, he wanted it very, he made it very clear this was a priority of his. And Mark, you know, you were in the House when the governor came and gave that speech. And it was mostly a rah-rah speech. Hey, you guys have done pretty much everything I've asked you to do, which is not normal. <laughs> it's not that normal that the governor gets pretty much his entire agenda if his agenda is ambitious. And in this this instance, it very, it very much was. Um, but he, he, you're right. He he put lawmakers on notice. It still didn't seem like he had the juice behind this, if only because, look, he, he mentioned transgender sports at the State of the State speech way back in January. He's talked about it at Republican gatherings, but he hasn't he hasn't put the sort of capital behind this that he has, let's say, the gun expansion that you and Maya have been writing about. Um, it wasn't at the same sort of level as that. It was it was a priority, but it wasn't the top priority, it seemed. Right. And I don't know if it would have passed if Kemp hadn't come to the House and Senate floor in the waning hours of this year's session and made it very clear this is what he wants. I think it kind of shows his pull a little bit that he was able to stand up here and say, these are my priorities. This is what I want. Get it done. And even then, I didn't know if it was going to happen, but um, it certainly appears that legislators heard the message and they really got moving. So Maya, Patricia mentioned how it's important for Governor Kemp's reelection campaign. He's facing a primary challenge, David Perdue, who's trying to outflake him every step of the way on the right. But also, this is something we've heard from grassroots Republicans, from state senators, rank and file Republican lawmakers. Um, I was struck at the Trump rally. The first words out of Herschel Walker's mouth when he had a chance to speak was fairness in school sports, transgender athletes. So this is something we've been hearing a lot um, this year even if we don't really have any examples of which to prove why, at least in high school athletics, right? We have some college athletic examples that Republicans like to cite, but it doesn't seem like there's this, um, you've written a lot about this. I mean, is, the, is there a lot of, uh, of Georgia-based examples of this happening? No one is aware of any. Um, you know, Senator Harbin wasn't able to mention any. The, um, you know, director of Georgia Equality, the LGBTQ rights organization says they're unaware of any instances where where this is a problem. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, the the common refrain from folks who were speaking against this was this is a solution in search of a problem. You know, there aren't transgender girls, you know, kicking butt in sports in Georgia. And that is what uh, Republicans who are pushing this say that they are trying to, quote unquote, protect 
girls from is is um, not being able to win because children who had male on their birth certificate are playing the sport with them and it's and it's it's national it's it's become a kind of coordinated i feel like you know every year every few months there becomes something that is the target and it's coordinated nationally and everybody um you know you see this leg- legislation similar legislation move in state houses across the country and so it was george's turn Maya, I want to stick with you because I think re- listeners will think this is fascinating, but how this sort of affects us as reporters when we're trying to, there's a crush of bills, right? There's no orderly schedule. There's no, there's no big announcement that transgender athletes is about to come up. You know, there's basically a, a, a dozens of bills that are getting voted on in rapid fashion at the very final minutes of the legislative session. And um, you hear an amendment, right? It, it, this came up as an amendment later on around 1145-ish, right? Late. It was late um, in the Senate. Yeah. And and your kind of ears perk up, I'm sure, right? You're like, what, what's what's going on here? They're going to make a late push? Well, so so the amendment hit first in the, in the House, right? And oh, so it was in the I, House first. It was in the House first, and I'm sitting next to, you know, another reporter, of course, Free Associated Press, who's lit, sitting in the Senate with me, listening to the House. I'm listening to what's going on in the Senate, and all of a sudden, he's just like, oh, crap, but not that word. And I'm like, what? And they're like, they just did transgender. They just added it to the CRT bill. And we're like, what? So we're trying to figure out what the language is, what it says. Is it what Senator Harbin introduced. It wasn't, but you know, that's what we thought at first. So we're all scrambling. We're running around the building trying to find uh, the, the, a copy of the amendment. We have no idea what it says. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and Mark can probably speak to what that debate was like over in the house. Yeah. Well, I wanted to segue to Mark because me, Patricia and Mark were all there. So I forgot that it started in the house first because just as this bill comes up, we had a special visitor. Calvin Smyrie, of 48 years in the Georgia House, <laughs> you know, he had just given this very emotional farewell speech earlier in the day. He was awarded a beautiful portrait. He had already said goodbye to so many lawmakers and officials and lobbyists and statewide leaders and all that. And he comes back to the sort of glass bubble in the back of the state house to, in, in a surprise, to say goodbye to us right before, <laughs> right before Signy die. Uh, and so we're kind of talking to him, we're catching up with him and we, we hear what Mark, we hear like, Oh, there's a, uh, there's some sort of education. Oh, it's divisive concepts. It was already a, it was a controversial bill, but it got a little bit more controversial. And so then you start perking up. Right. Um, we had been waiting for the divisive concepts bill to be introduced for days now. And then it finally came and we thought, okay, this is going to be the house agreeing to the Senate version of the bill that set guidelines for what could and couldn't be discussed in public schools. But it says on the screen the name of the bill and then agree to Senate substitute as amended. And as amended means they added something to it. So then for a few minutes, there was just so much confusion and unclarity about what was the amendment. And the amendment was adding the transgender sports piece to the divisive concepts bill right there on the House floor. But Patricia, beyond that, it wasn't just a straight up transgender, you know, it wasn't the same version that, that, you know, the House took up earlier this session. It was a completely new language. And many of the lawmakers speaking up, um, especially the critics, uh, they weren't even sure exactly what was in it. They just knew it involved transgender um, uh, students. 
Yeah, it was happening all at 11.45 and the chamber is meant to be out by midnight and there's still multiple things to be done. And so you could just feel this crush of time. But it was uh, State Representative uh, Matt Wilson who stood up and asked a question, asked a procedural question about the uh, divisive concepts bill and said, isn't it true that on line 70, there is the transgender sports bill? And you could see everybody in the house turn their heads and say, what? Most people had no idea that was on there. And then as you start to read through it, um, it is not the ban on transgender sports as it was originally written. It now has a study committee because the reality is that nobody knows how many people, how many children this would affect. Nobody knows which sports it would affect. Would it be just team sports? Would it be individual sports? Um, what if it's chess? Is chess a sport? You know, is cheerleading? So there's just no, this was presented in committee as a preventative bill, but the sponsor could not say exactly what they were trying to prevent specifically. And so when you start from that place with a piece of legislation, it leaves enormous unanswered questions. So the piece of this is to create a study committee. And then the second piece is to push the actual decision making right now to the group that actually creates regulations for high school sports in Georgia. And so instead of writing into code a ban against transgender children from participating in sports, which I think writing that in Georgia law was very, very hurtful to a number of Democrats in particular, um, it has been pushed off to the regulatory committee um, that's not quite a state agency, but certainly has a lot of interaction with the state. You know, Maya, uh, Patricia mentioned uh, a very good point that I think our listeners need to hear, which is, we always think that there's this thoughtful deliberation. We have this view of, of lawmakers as like pouring over reams of paper and really, you know, the final days of legislation really, you know, making changes and thought carefully deliberating each thing. No, they get these bills a minute sometimes, you know, these amendments just before they're supposed to vote on it. And in this case, as Patricia highlighted, a state, a state uh, legislature um, highlighted, you know, realized there was something to him problematic in this amendment. Um, oftentimes these votes are bang, 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 bang things. And lawmakers routinely, especially in these final final hours of legislative session, they're routinely voting on bills that they haven't read, that they don't necessarily fully understand. And it is a very chaotic system. Yeah, you know, and, it, it, you know, it's not helpful when uh, to, to the legislative process when the folks presenting these bills get up and say, this bill creates an oversight committee for high school sports please vote on it. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Oversight, high school sports. You know, Matt Wilson's like, wait a minute. But then when it gets over to the Senate, the senators never got the amendment. It, they did not get it at all. They never saw it. They were they asked, you know, the minority leader, Gloria Butler, called on the lieutenant governor to hold a, um, a vote, called a motion to have the bill and the amendment printed. And according to the rules, uh, they can, by a vote of the majority of the chamber, they can pause the vote to print the bill that they're voting on. And the Republican majority in the chamber voted against having the vote paused so that the bill and amendment could be printed. And so they ended up having to vote on the bill without ever seeing it first. Um, wow. So... They did. They had no idea. I mean, they had an idea, right? Because I'm sure their colleagues in the House were sending over texts or came over to the chamber to let them know what was going on. But they didn't see the language. They had absolutely no idea what they were voting on. 
and we're not well, giving the opportunity to know what they were what, what they were voting on. So they were relying basically on our tweets, which had screenshots of of those amendments to figure out what they were voting on. Exactly. They they uh, never well, they never printed them out on the Senate side. Yeah, my wasn't there. It was a motion to print, and I have never seen a motion to print before. And this is just my second session. I thought everybody else knew what a motion to print was. I'm like, what does that mean? And it was literally a motion to print the bill because they did not have the paper in front of them to read what they were supposed to be voting on. Exactly. And if this was a normal, you know, day 26 and someone did a motion to print, there would be plenty of time. But because it's the last day of the session, because there's this final rush, everything is such, everything is in this, even though there is no hard and fast midnight deadline anymore like there used to be, everything is chaotic. And and, And, and and if I'm being honest, that motion to print, I'm relatively certain like Gloria Butler made that motion to print at like 11.58 or 11.59. Like that's how up against the wall and how rapid fire they were trying to push these bills through with before anyone knew what was in them. Well, not that long after that, a few hours later, Governor Kemp went on our sister station. I don't know what we call it. (laughs) Governor Kemp went on WSB and he talked about it. He kind of did a victory lap. Let's listen. It's really fairness in school sports for girls sports. You know, as a father of three daughters, uh, you know, I certainly want them to be on a on a level playing field and be playing against, you know, biological females uh, versus a biological male. And I think that's simply what this argument's all about. It's not trying to keep anybody from playing sports. And, um, you know, the way the legislation got done last night after a lot of back and forth is there going to be, there's going to be a committee that's created that will give recommendations to the Georgia high school association. And so I think that'll be a good process. So that's the governor. That's how the governor frames um, his support for this. But, you know, I was really interested in House Speaker David Ralston, because as we mentioned earlier, he was the obstacle. He was very skeptical of this legislation. We heard behind the scenes he was uh, very against it, but he found a way, at least maybe this compromise, maybe by shifting the burden to the Georgia, to the GHSA to decide whether or not to to restrict transgender athletes from, from competing in high school sports. That gave him, let's listen, let's listen to how he framed it. I think we reached a, uh, if you read the uh, compromise that we reached, uh, there was no mandate from the General Assembly as to what to do. Uh, We have now uh, basically adopted the NCAA model by kicking it over to the uh, GHSA, and uh, we're going to let them make those determinations, and we have an oversight committee on that, but uh, that's really where these determinations need to be made. Hopefully they'll... uh, um, they'll do the right thing as, as we go forward. The speaker was also asked if this will target transgender girls and if it's at odds with the mental health package he's so proud of. Well, we're not targeting them because that'll be a GHSA determination. And um, uh, well, I'm going to communicate to them that I, I don't want them targeted. Uh, and I hope that, uh, that that's not the case. Uh, because, um, you know, I think that's a determination that GHA, GHSA needs to make um, in consultation with the member schools. So, Mark, he can, he can urge the, the GHSA panel as much as he wants not to take this action, but that's not in the law, right? They get to take they, – they get they, there's an advisory committee, but they get to decide how they want to decide. So this is why – this is another reason why there was such passionate debate and opposition from Democrats who feel like – this is going to cause more mental health issues. This is going to um, be a new burden on these 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 
um, students who are going through gender transitions and other very stressful times. And this is part of the confusion that happens when you pass bills so quickly and at the last minute, you know, this, it's pretty clear that this amended transgender sports bill was not thoroughly vetted. You know, we immediately started hearing about potential legal challenges, you know, can the legislature just punt and tell GHSA, oh, it's your problem now. And we gave you permission to do that. I don't know if that'll fly or not. And also I wonder, you know, you say, well, we're not going to be targeting transgender athletes, but that's kind of the whole intent, right? <laughs> How can you not, if you, if you pass a regulation saying transgender athletes can't play in sports, that that's exactly what they would be doing if in fact GHSA does move forward with that type of regulation. So there are a lot of questions about how this will actually work and whether it'll stand up in court. Maya, we know the critics, um, including the LGBTQ community, including Democratic, most Democratic lawmakers, if not all, I, I haven't seen the breakout of the bill, but I'm assuming it was party line vote. We know the critics we know their opposition, but was this also enough for the supporters, you know, because were any supporters saying, hey, this didn't go far enough in, in that view, or were they generally happy with, with how this uh, played out? You know, I haven't, I haven't heard anything specifically addressing whether or not they are happy with the way things turned out. I've kind of been out of pocket for most of the day today, so I've not had an opportunity to kind of talk to folks about how they're feeling. I, my gut tells me that this is probably enough for them in the same way that the changes that were made to the mental health bill to get rid of the, you know, pedophilia protection made them feel it never protected pedophiles. And so, so, so they said, Hey, it's definitely not in there. And now everybody feels better about it, even though it was never in there. Right. So this, I feel like this is like, it's doing something though. It's not really doing something. Cause I feel like GHSA has kind of wanted to, like they've made a point of staying out of this whole debate by letting school districts make the decisions for themselves. Like this does not seem like something that they are interested in, in wading into. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. And if it goes the way that some of these conservative um, lawmakers and supporters of, of these transgender sports bans, um, if it goes in the way they think it's going to go. Patricia, we've always said there's always a surprise issue or multiple surprise issues the legislative session this might have been like the surprise last 10 minutes of the legislative session because up until about 11:55 this was a surprise right um and that's why you got always got to stay on your toes if you're a lawmaker or you're a reporter under the gold dome Yes. And I really am wondering what else we're going to figure out they passed in those mini bills uh, that just jammed through at the 11th hour, because a lot of them uh, started life with one set of uh, issues and contents inside of it. Uh, then lawmakers uh, have a way of stripping out everything in there and putting in something else entirely, but still under the original title. So that's hard to find. Uh, these amendments that are not necessarily amendments, changes to work, changes to um, even punctuation that can change the meaning of legislation. I think it's going to take some time to really get through and figure out what all has passed in great detail. Um, but I totally agree. This was something that we all literally four hours before it happened, did not even think that it was going to pass. And not only did it pass, but it passed in a way that was just so surprising and um, really shocking that uh, 
in its that in itself, the process in itself raises a lot of questions. And then uh, the content itself raises an additional set of questions. And then we're really going to have to report it out with lawmakers and see how they feel about it and uh, whether they're going to go back in next session with an entirely new set of lawmakers and potentially new statewide leaders in the Capitol as well. And what are they going to do with us? Well, that is a perfect time for a break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back. Don't forget, new episodes of Politically Georgia drop every Wednesday and Friday. And every weekday morning, you can also get delivered right to your inbox a fresh morning jolt newsletter from our AJC politics team. We think it sets the agenda and the stakes in Georgia politics. And Patricia, what have we got going tomorrow? Because I've barely been able to think past today. We're going to have some cleanup from last night. Uh, cleanup on the Capitol aisle. I think we have to. We have to. We have some more odds and ends to deal with from uh, Signy Die, and then we're also going to have a look around the corner at this election season, which is just starting with a bang here. Uh, I feel like there is a um, kind of a cannon at the end of Signy Die, and it just shoots these lawmakers straight into their primary season. And so we're going to have a look around the corner about what's waiting for them on the trail this year. And I know me and Patricia will be on the campaign trail Wednesday and Thursday to go catch some of these lawmakers out in the wild. The Jolt is only available for subscribers to the AJC. If you want to join us, please go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And you won't believe it, but your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. Okay, Mark, before we um, close our show, let's talk about some of the other measures that didn't make the final cut because you know, we talked about a lot of the bills that squeezed through, but one of the biggest issues that didn't make it was an attempt to kind of rev up Georgia's stalled medical marijuana program. It came up what one vote short. Uh, you talked to Minority Leader Gloria Butler. Here's what she said. They were picking who should get contracts, winners and losers, and definitely did not like that. Right, right. And I guess maybe a better way to frame it would be, you know, how do we move forward? Is it, I mean, I'm sure it's a disappointment for the patients, but um, perhaps there's a future. Um, what are your hopes for how this program plays out? Yeah, well, you know, Dr. Watson, after I made the motion to table, he did mention the fact that they've been working on this for 10 years. Well, we just want them to get it right. Right. Don't keep, you know, picking and choosing. Mark, what does this mean for the for the Georgia patients who rely on medical marijuana? It means they still have to wait. They've been waiting for since 2015. They've been 
medical marijuana patients who have real diagnoses that are approved by a physician have they supposed to have been able to use low THC cannabis oil since 2015 under a state law that at the time was kind of pioneering for Georgia. But since then, there's still no way for them to legally buy or ship medical marijuana oil. And this bill was trying to jumpstart the process, right? Um, there are supposed to be companies that are that would produce and distribute and sell medical marijuana oil through this government program. But it's just gotten so bogged down by a competitive bidding process where there were some winning companies named and then a whole bunch of losing companies that complained. And there were six companies chosen out of 69 that had applied. So you have 63 companies saying, hey, wait a minute, we're the most qualified. And when you have that many companies and you know, of those 63, 16 filed official formal protests. That's a lot to go through and a lot to evaluate. And the process was not done in a by a third party. It was handled by these volunteers on this government, Georgia Medical Cannabis Commission. And so it's a slow process with a low budget and not consistent standards necessarily that has resulted in a lot of delays and waits for patients. And so now we're right back where we started, going back to the first process where, you know, they'll still be working through these protests and trying to issue licenses to six companies to actually produce medical marijuana oil. But it's no sure thing. Even if they do it on schedule and finish the protest mm -hmm. by the end of June, there will be lawsuits. And a judge might well say, look, this process has not been fair. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it could. That's a risk. And so, um, really the people we have to be thinking about are the patients who have been working through this political government process for years and it's getting harder and harder for them to even buy medical marijuana oil on the black market as they've been doing since as other states um, more tightly regulate medical marijuana they're those states with official government programs are less willing to deal with states like georgia that don't have programs that are on the up and up. And the real victims are the patients who don't have access. So um, what we and patients have to do now is watch to see what happens next and um, hopefully rely on the government and the Cannabis Commission to try to push this process forward on their own without a bill forcing them to do it. And we'll be watching it very closely. And I was talking to um, a father of one of the patients as I left the Capitol who said basically he's ready to violate the law. Like he's, he's, he'll do whatever it takes to help his, uh, to help his daughter. Um, and he's, he's ready to go to that length. And we've heard that before. We heard that before this legislation even passed way back when, almost a decade ago, that parents were willing to do whatever it took to help their, uh, their, their loved ones um, suffer through uh, or, or treat some of these um these rare conditions that they need a medical marijuana for. Um, before we get out too, this was a subject of a lot of coverage. Um, and this was just a fascinating part of, of the night, but it was a good legislative session um, for the governor uh, where he basically achieved um, in his words, he achieved every single item on his legislative agenda. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's accurate. I can't think of a major bill that he actually put his political capital behind because he didn't really say medical marijuana was one of those. Um, but I think he's achieved everything he set out to do. And Patricia, this is sure going to come in handy on the campaign trail. He's starting uh, Wednesday. He's starting, he's hitting the campaign trail again Wednesday. And you better believe this will be at the centerpiece of his reelection uh, campaign. 
Oh, absolutely. And you can think about all of the things that you and I, I think we did separate interviews with the governor ahead of time. And every I went through the checklist of everything he said to me, what he wanted to get done this session. And he's just checked them all off. Constitutional carry, tax cut, tax refund, pay raises for teachers, um, all of that on top of legislation that they have passed and uh, the first half of this session having to do with hate crimes and uh, citizens arrest laws. And so he's got this record that I think we are going to hear a lot about. We'll hear uh, the more conservative pieces, obviously, in the Republican primary. But this is a governor who's been playing the long game, who I think has also been seeding the ground to be able to take on Stacey Abrams in the future as well. So I think he will have um, several things that he has wanted to take into both sets of elections. And we're definitely going to hear that. To me, what's so interesting is the big pieces that failed, I think, failed in in some way because the governor was not heavily behind them. Something like sports betting. Um, he didn't really take the lead on that. And so sports mm-hmm. betting was this perennial, maybe it'll pass, maybe it won't. You know, and then, uh, he, he didn't uh, take a strong position on that. And it didn't go anywhere. Um, so he, I feel like, used his political capital very strategically and let other things, um, even an abortion bill, kind of fall by the wayside, more narrow abortion bill than what he's already signed. This sort of fell by the wayside because his team, I think, felt like he had this uh, finite uh, supply of political capital and they wanted to use it in these specific ways, but deliver on every single thing. And I, it's hard to think of anything that he didn't wrap up by the end of the night. Yeah. Maya, you were covering, uh, watching sports betting very closely and the abortion measure. And Patricia's right. Governor never endorsed either of them. He didn't say any bad words about either of them either. Um, you know, in general, not just Governor Kemp, but other Republican governors have been against expanding gambling, but they've also said, hey, if the voters want it, they will block it. In this case, the governor never got behind it, never got for it. But big powers were behind sports betting. It just didn't cross that finish line. And it seemed like it actually had a chance this year. But, you know, we've said that before. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think, you know, the last time I spoke on this podcast, you asked me what I was watching and I listed bills and sports betting wasn't one of them. And it's like, I think I've just kind of come to the place in my mind where it's like everybody, like the supporters are like, this is the year. It's going to happen. It's really, and it's kind of, I mean, I don't want to say getting to the point where it's like, boy, you cried wolf, but it's just like, I just won't believe it until I see it. At this point, we always get like so close and we got much closer than we ever have. Right. We had a bill that passed out of one chamber last year and was worked on for a year at the beginning of the session. Even the speaker said we've reached an agreement. And even still, that bill didn't come out of committee until last week. And and then couldn't get the vote. They didn't even have enough votes to get it out of the rules to committee to get it scheduled for Florida debate, where it would have needed two thirds of the chamber. So it's just for whatever reason, for one reason or another, they can't get to a place where they're seeing eye to eye on how gambling should be expanded, if gambling should be expanded how it should be expanded and where the money should go, which I think has become the biggest sticking point of the folks who support gambling, you know, expanded gambling. It's the fight over where the money should go. And Mark, one final thought, but what's always fascinating to me is the relationship, the strengthening alliance, I guess you could put it, uh, between Governor Kemp and, and Speaker Ralston. I mean, not that long ago, they were at odds over a lot of key issues, including tax policy, um, the budget, um, 
Kelly Leffler over Doug Collins, right? Of course, Kemp backed Kelly Leffler for the U.S. Senate seat. Um, Ralston backed Doug Collins. Um, it seemed like it was uh, there was just going to be destined for a lot more infighting. And and this year, and I think it was crystallized with the uh, transgender issue we just talked about. But Speaker Ralston was the one who who dropped his objection just to help Governor Kemp get get him another priority. Um, Let's let's listen to David Ralston about his relationship, his evolving relationship with Brian Kemp. This governor has taken a lot of abuse, uh, and we know where it's come from. And he's kept on going, and, and uh, you know he's governing. Uh, he's not just out here, you know, uh, speech making. And um, uh, you know, I I kind of admire that. He's not just speech making. You know, th- there was about as close as you can get to an endorsement, Mark. He hasn't formally endorsed the governor yet. He's, if he does, it won't be a surprise because he said things like that. He's not a fan of David Perdue. Um, but again, it, it's kind of fundamentally changed how the Capitol works because the governor was able to get everything he wanted. And now he's able to go on the campaign trail and talk about it. It was almost as if the Republican legislature endorsed <laughs> Governor Kemp by endorsing every single one of his priorities. It certainly seems that way. And, you know, with the transgender bill, it seems like, I don't know if it was the governor directly, probably not, but somehow they found a way to give Speaker Ralston an out, you know, because he wasn't, it didn't appear like he was totally excited about bringing the bill forward that would have the legislature itself um, forbid transgender girls from playing in sports. But this bill again, punted the issue to the High School Athletic Association so the legislature Mm -hmm. didn't have to do it. But I do want to turn that around on you. Why do you think it is that the governor has so much pull? You know, we haven't, we didn't see that in like Governor Kemp's first year, especially. And Governor Deal, you know, while he was widely respected, it isn't like he always had this perfect, friendly relationship with the General Assembly. What is it that makes uh, Governor Kemp have so much ability to persuade the legislature to do what he wants because most governors you know have to really work at it to get this kind of yeah get a go get along kind of attitude you're right and you're right because sometimes nathan deal achieved his items but they were not as ambitious they were not as far ranging as this i think a couple things one budget you know, he he. There's a lot more money <laughs> to go around this year than ever before. It's a record budget, and that helps. Um, and then, really, um, you know, it's a new it's a new team over there. Um, Burt Brantley, Trey, um, his chief of staff and deputy chief of staff, Burt Brantley and Trey Kilpatrick is his chief of staff now. They've brought in a sort of a new um, a reset of some pretty thorny relations. It's given. Um, not just Speaker Ralston, but also rank-and-file lawmakers, um, uh, sort of a, a new way to interact with the governor's office, um, you know, that 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 uh, seems to have helped smooth out relations. And, of course, over on the Senate side, he's always had tight relations with Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, but with rank-and-file senators, some of whom backed Casey Cagle way back when, four years ago, um, you know, he's had to repair some of those relations too. And you're really seeing those dividends right now. Um, because this could have been, uh, you know, an, an angry session that ended in House Senate infighting with the governor kind of stuck in the middle and frustrated that his issues didn't get passed. And it could have been an opening for David Perdue to say, hey, if I was governor, I would I would have united the party in a way that Brian Kemp can't. It's harder for David Perdue to say that. He'll st- he still might. 
he still might say, hey, this this all happened because of me, uh, because I pressured Governor Kemp to, to embrace these issues. And he's already kind of said that in a statement. Um, but um, it's a little bit harder of an argument to make because Governor Kemp did do it, right? David Perdue said he would do it. Governor Kemp did do it. So I think it's a reset. I think it's um, it's money of the budget. You know, it's, he has to make a lot a fewer hard decisions about contracting the budget. Instead, he gets to dole out some more goodies. And look, lawmakers from both parties like like voting on uh, teacher pay raises and tax refunds and income tax slashes and all that. So I think that's part of it. Well, don't forget, please give us the rating you think we deserve on Apple or Spotify so we can grow this show. Thanks so much to our guests, Maya, Patricia, Mark, Jay Black, our fearless, our fearless producer, Shane, our uh, fill-in, our, our freelance. I guess he's just listening in today. Uh, but it's been so he's great. Part to, of the, he's part of the Politically Georgia team now. Welcome, Shane Backler. Welcome, Shane. You're you're part of the Politically <laughs> Georgia team. See, I call you a fill-in. More than a fill-in, fill Greg. More than a fill-in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I should a, a replacement player. No, Shane is part of the team now. Um, and we really appreciate all, you've, all of you joining us and listening. We will see you Friday on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,